Today's parasha is Noah, and it's from Genesis 6-9 to 11-35. The book of Genesis recounts the origins of things. It begins with the origins of the world, the origin of sin, the origin of the rainbow, the origin of peoples and language groups. And then from Genesis 12 on to the end of Genesis is the origins of the Jewish people. Parashat Noah contains two stories. The first is Noah and the judgment of the flood, and the second is the Tower of Babel and the confusion of languages. So at the beginning of the parasha, God surveys the world he's created, and he realizes that people have become wicked. So he starts over with the only righteous man there is, Noah. He commands Noah to build an ark and take with him his wife, three sons, their wives, food, Seven of, unclean, uh, seven of clean animals, seven each, and two each of unclean animals. Although rain is not a foreign concept to us, it would have been foreign to Noah. But he obeys God and acts by faith in building an ark. When everyone is inside the ark, God closes the door and he sends a devastating rain for 40 days and 40 nights, destroying everything that's outside the ark. After 40 days, Though Noah and his family can't just get out, it takes 150, year, 150 days for the water to recede, and then new plants have to grow. The rain started in the second month of Noah's 600th year, and the whole family got to stand on dry land on the first month of his 601st year. So it almost, uh, it almost took a year to get out. When he comes out, he makes a sacrifice of clean animals to God, and he plants a vineyard. This is the second creation account in a sense. It's a recreation. And Noah is commanded to be fruitful and multiply, just like Adam and Eve were. He gets drunk on the wine that he grew uh, and lay uncovered in his tent. And two of his sons, Shem and Yafet, treat him with dignity, but his son, Ham, looks upon his shame and he brings on a curse on himself and his descendants. Noah's three sons then repopulate the earth. Chapter 11 contains the second story, which is the Tower of Babel. All the people spoke one language and decided to make a name for themselves by building a tower that reaches heaven. God confounds this project by making them speak different languages so that they have to abandon the project completely. In the Marsha, the two stories have a pattern of rebellion and judgment. You have Noah's, which is rebellion and judgment, and then the Tower of Babel, and there's rebellion and judgment. And between the two stories, there's a rainbow. Now, long before gay pride and diversity hijacked the rainbow, God had created the rainbow in the sky for a covenant between himself and all of creation, even animals. He promises to never again destroy the earth with a flood. It is the first of a number of covenants that God makes. It is unilateral, meaning nothing is expected in return from his creation. It is a symbol of God's choice to be patient with his creation, knowing full well they will disappoint again. It's a reminder to us that God has to judge because he alone is perfect, and yet he also initiates and seeks restoration. At the heart of rebellion is a desire to do whatever you please and be accountable to no one and not come under any sort of authority. Yeshua in the Gospel compares his return and final judgment as a time uh, much like the time of Noah's, 
Interestingly, though, when Yeshua talks about Noah's time, he doesn't say, oh, those people were just dreadful. Instead, he says, it was a time when people ate, drank, married, and were given in marriage, none of which are sinful in and of themselves. They were just carrying on with their lives, and judgment came and swept them away. It wasn't that they were openly wicked, but it was an attitude of the heart that said that God does not exist, and if he does, he's of no consequence. This same attitude is in the battle account. Here the people are unified in language and in purpose. God stops this project because of the unified attitude that says we can be one. We can go up there, up to heaven, and show them who's boss. That was wickedness. I'd like to consider poor Noah in all of this. There's good reason he's considered a hero of faith and is mentioned in several different parts of the Bible. Although Noah was rescued from judgment, he entered his own test from God. God commanded him to build a never-before-seen structure, and he did it. He told him to bring in animals and his family, and he did it. God never warned him of the experience itself, the sky would open and that there would be rain for 40 days and 40 nights. And that it would be a year before Noah and his family would see dry land again. There was a smell of animals inside the ark, the smell of death that wafted through the windows from outside the ark. Perhaps you want to reconsider that painting of the Noah's ark in the children's room. <laughs> Noah wasn't having the time of his life, exactly. He's a hero of faith because he entered trial simply trusting God, not knowing where he was going or what his life would be like. As far as he's concerned, as far as his knowledge goes, he could have just been floating around for the rest of his life. Before the flood, he alone was seen as righteous and walking with God. I'm going to read Genesis 9, 12-17. As I read it, I hope you'll think about God's goodness and grace toward us as portrayed in the rainbow, His promise-keeping nature. In fact, um, if you look at the Siddur, the, the, the prayer for seeing a rainbow, uh, says that God remembers His covenant and He does exactly what He will say. As well as think about the kind of faith that God is looking for in us that God would find us faithful when other people's hearts are growing cold towards him. That we would be like Noah, who lived his life walking with God, rather than walking by himself and for himself.